Hello, everyone. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show after, I don't know, what I would think would be a demoralizing loss for the Winnipeg Jets. This one was one of those games that you feel like the Jets had to have. One, they need to snap out of it and break this losing streak they're on. Instead, it runs to six games, but it's the situation here playing the Vancouver Canucks, a team that was tied with them in the standings. That's now two points up on them. Yeah. The jets have three games in hand uh, on them. So it's not, uh, it's not like the Canucks have put themselves out of reach of the Winnipeg jets here. And yes, there's half a season to go here, but every team that the jets allow to pass them in the standings, it just makes that climb into that final playoff spot that much harder you, you would have thought you would have seen the Winnipeg Jets best at this time. Instead, it looks like a team, and I'll say it, it, they look rudderless at this stage. They look like a ship. The rudder broke off, and they're out in the middle of the ocean. The waves are churning. It's a tough situation for them right now. Uh, lots to talk about uh, on this night uh, where you know, it didn't seem like the Jets could get the offense going and that the defense wasn't going either. Uh, special teams, not a good one on this night either it's 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 one of those situations where you know we talked with Dave Lowry after this game and he said there's a lot of good that he saw in that game and and it's interestingly enough I agree with him there were times that the Jets went out and made pushes and looked really really good but it just seems like those hard pushes where the Jets have those dominant stretches of hockey are coming, you know, further and further apart. They don't sustain as long. You know, we're asking for, you know, you know, a 60 minute game out of this Jets team to pull things off here. And I don't know, it just seemed like where they were at uh, the, the first four games, first five games of this losing streak, one, they're playing really good teams. So maybe there's a little bit of an excuse you can build in there on them not getting the results, but it seemed like, yeah, the Jets are in a hurting place right now. They're playing good teams. So maybe they're a step below. This was a night where the Jets needed to look across the ice at the team that they were playing and say, we have to find our best against this team and show that we're above them. Instead, we're looking at a six straight loss. Uh, let's bring Kenny in here to talk about it. Uh, like I said, lots to talk about it. Best guy to do it with is our main man, Kenny Weeb. Here he comes. I got to say, Ken, it doesn't matter what mood I'm in. That song always puts a smile on my face. That's such good stuff. Uh, Tristan Rivers, you are the man. That's great stuff. Ken, welcome to the show. Great to see you here. I'm going to start off Marshall Patterson asks this question, and this seems to me to be the overarching theme of everyone I talk to. I think everyone in Winnipeg, including a lot of people in the Jets organization, are feeling this way right now. Well, thought that was awful. Where do we go now? That's the big question. Let's start on that because it should, before we start breaking down this game, because this is clearly a team in search of answers. And you gave a really, really good breakdown uh, in our post-game hit with Sportsnet about you know this team searching for answers. And 
maybe how this six-game losing streak differs to that long seven-game streak that the Jets went through last year. But I'll, I'll pose the question to you. Where do you go now? And do the Jets know at this stage? Yeah, this is very, I mean, it's simple yet, it's complex yet simple for me, Sean, right? I mean, it all starts with structure in the defensive zone. Yes, we can lament the, you know, the lack of scoring and secondary scoring and uh, even how the, you know, 80, almost 90% of the goals are coming from the Jets forwards. Uh, but ultimately it starts in the defensive zone for me. I mean, I need to see, uh, you know, lots of people saying it in the chat room, I need to see more passion. I mean, this is a team, yeah, it's true, they didn't quit, but I need to see more fire. I mean, I get it. I mean, people want to stay positive and everything else, but I mean, I, I think that the mo probably the, the most promising piece um, of what we've heard from the Jets over this losing streak was Pierre-Luc Dubois kind of saying how upset he was and then kind of followed up by Paul Stastny uh, with the truth serum being dropped. Uh, today, I, I totally understand. I mean... You don't want to you know, lose your mind at the podium or anything like that, but uh, the Jets' leadership has to help pull them out of this. I mean, to me, it starts there. I mean, they're not doing a good enough job defensively. Um, again, I'm not here to dump on Connor Hellebuck. He still remains the backbone of the Jets' team. The Jets have given up 23 goals in the last six games. That that's too. You're not going to win a lot of games when you're giving up four or more. That's just too many. So to me, the Jets need to start there. And once they get that sorted out, then they're going to be able to attack offensively. But until they get things sorted out defensively, they're going to be leaving their goaltender out on an island, which is what Paul Stastny said the other day. Um, and to me, again, like I said, this is not a goaltending issue. But Sean, what happened in this game today? JT Miller sneaks a shot through the five hole of Connor Hellebuck and it absolutely is a deflating moment for this group. You know, the 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 second goal, that's the hat-trick goal I'm referring to. The second yeah. goal, nice play, a little bit of a... There too, it's a simple three-on-three, three, but the Jets struggle with the sword out, right? They can't... Who's, who's taking JT Miller? Well, they can't get there, and Miller rips a shot home. But to me, it's the third goal that is the deflator. The one that sneaks through the five-hole, that's one where you kind of feel a team sag and sort of the energy kind of get that's the old balloon gets popped in that one and then it's a and you try to pull yourself out of it uh and again you know here's the other part sean we heard this week connor hellebuck great honesty feeling the pro I, I don't know about everybody else but i'm feeling pressure uh then we heard kyle connor i think used the word desperation which is a good word to describe the situation I call this the desperation bowl for these two teams. Two teams below the playoff line, three teams between them, tied in points. The winner, you know, in the four-pointer, all of a sudden now there's four points for the or four teams for the loser that you're looking up on. Uh, that that's a tough hill to climb. Uh, we know that there is half a season left, and I mean, you know, Nate Schmidt pointed it out. The St. Louis Blues were in last place. I don't think they're in last place. I'm going to correct them slightly. I don't think they were in last place in February, but they were in January. No, no, they were no. they were in January though. They were and I when, think they were his, when his, the clock turned, the calendar turned and then they took off right at that moment. But yeah. but his point being that I think it was similar amount of games played is what he meant. I don't think he was ignoring the date okay. or the timeline. Sure. I think yeah. that because the Jets are at at 41 where normally you're at 41 in early January. So uh, to me, yeah, they have time, but they need to do a better job uh, 
Uh, I, I don't think this is a preparation issue, but their, you know, their details are not right to borrow a line from Connor Hellebuck. Uh, too often, they're not doing a good enough job, and you know, the structurally, they're not sound. I mean, outside of not scoring enough and not defending well enough, and today a penalty kill that had been, you know, seen a 20% improvement under Dave Lowry, going from about 67% to 87%, gave up two goals in 17 seconds. That can't happen if you're in a game that you, you know, it's not a must win in no, in in the middle of the season, but this is a game, this was a had-to-have kind of situation for the Jets, and they lost by four goals. So, I mean, that's a problem for a team that considers itself to be a playoff team, and they need to get things sorted out. I mean, Sean, what do you see as the major issue right now? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, coach this by saying I talked quite a bit with Kevin Sawyer after the game so I don't want to steal his stuff and bring it into the show but his thoughts and what he gave me is coloring it so like what I say here if you find that it's brilliant it's because Kevin Sawyer is the guy who kind of pushed it into my head here a a little bit but the idea that last year with the Winnipeg Jets when they went on that seven game losing streak towards the end of the season you you heard you know the ever positive Paul Maurice saying I think we're turning things around we're doing this we're doing that right sometimes from the outside it's hard to see right they were still losing around game four of that he was saying i'm starting to see positive signs of where we're trying to get to well they had an idea of what exactly they wanted to do they said we need to learn to defend first and then we're going to take it from there we need to grind out some wins become hard to play against hard to score against and then we're going to take it from there and see if we can't reawaken our our defense well they pulled that off and it wasn't pretty because they lost seven and then they won one and then they lost a little bit more they still stumbled a little bit more but kind of started on the upswing into the playoffs and then you saw exactly that game that blueprint that paul maurice had been talking about that was going to get them out of that little bit of a problem there that's what won them that series against the Edmonton Oilers. They went in against the Oilers and just decided we're going to try and frustrate this highly offensive team and shut them down, and that's how we're going to win this series. And they did it. They pulled it off. There was a blueprint. They said, this guy goes here, this guy goes here, this guy goes here. They followed the coach's blueprint, and they got there. The one thing that I'm not hearing during this streak of losses for the Winnipeg Jets is an idea of what they need to do to get out of this other than keep working at it, work harder at it, right? Like that's when we talk to the players, that's what you're hearing from them is saying, hey, we're just going to keep it work. We're going to show up tomorrow. We're going to practice. We're going to work hard. If we're, you know, there was a suggestion today by Andrew, Andrew Copper, Blake Wheeler. I can't remember that the team, I think it was Blake Wheeler said that the team just seems like it's a half step behind. Yep. Was it Wheeler or was it Cop? It was Wheeler. Wheeler it was Wheeler. So yep. that's the suggestion from Wheeler. Murat Tesh from The Athletic asked Dave Lowry about that, said he thought it was, you know, he was maybe a half step behind. Dave Lowry said, well, if that's the case, then we just have to work on getting faster, right? So the Winnipeg Jets are committed, and we have no doubt that they're going <laughs> – that they're going to be committed to working their way out of this. But what are they working towards? What's the plan? We're not hearing a plan. That doesn't mean that there's not a plan in the dressing room. But what we are not hearing from players when we ask them is kind of an idea of what it's going to take to get out of this, right? And and that's, that's the thing that I, I think would maybe be most concerning 
about this is 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 there's a focus and if and I said this earlier on in the season Rick Bonus was with the Dallas you know coach of the Dallas Stars came out one press conference and I've referenced this a couple times on this show throughout the season came out said we know what's wrong we know how to fix it that's what we're going to do and then he left the podium and yep. what did the Stars do they kind of turned things around a really rough start to the season turned things around and not that it's been like straight uphill for them since then but but there was a guy who had a plan, executed the plan, and it worked. We, we, that's that's the moment, I think, as a journalist, Ken, or as a fan, or maybe even the players, that's what you're waiting for. You're waiting for someone to come out and say, we know what the issue is, we know how to attack it, there's no lack of effort on this team, so we're going to go to work on it, and we believe that's going to get us out of that. At this stage right now, I'm not sure that I see the light at the end of the tunnel for the Winnipeg Jets. I'm not sure they see it either. Yeah, I think that there are times when they see it. They just don't see it often enough, and they don't seem to be in-game. The response to the adversity has been tough. Um, yeah, so let's get into this. I mean, I know people are are mostly having fun with it, but uh, let's get yeah. into the let's get into the exchange. I think it was definitely a fair question, and um, you know, let's go in. Let's help. Let's well, help. Let's help pull okay. people behind. Uh, we always talk about pulling people behind the curtain. So for sure. let's give them a look right now. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so a hot lunch here, and the other people are talking about uh, my interaction with Blake Wheeler after the game, where I asked him if this feels like a season low. I didn't ask a rock bottom or whatever. I asked if it felt like a season low. Blake Wheeler's response was, you're looking for a headline, Sean. Or I don't think he said, are you looking for a headline? I think well, he, he said, you are, yeah. He believed I was looking for a headline. So I want to say right off the bat, and, you know, after these kind of things happen, you get into these little, you know, fender benders with 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 the players when you're having these interactions i had someone a member from the media come to me afterwards and say well i think that was a fair question and and i agree i so so i think what i asked is a fair question i also think wheeler's response is a fair answer because the question that i ask i'm trying to leave something open to get I'm not trying to back him into a corner and make him say this is the season low for us. Yeah. He can respond any way he wants. He can say, I don't think so at all. I think that this is going to be the moment of our greatest redemption. He can take it in any direction. So I don't think it's an unfair question. But there's no doubt, Ken, and I know this when I'm asking that it's a charged question, right? I know sure. it's a charged question. And you know when you're talking to a guy like Blake Wheeler who 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 is fiery and passionate and and likes to get his elbows up if he feels like he's being attacked that 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 kind of response from him is clearly a potential response so i i just want to say like uh, i stand behind the question that i asked i don't think that there's a problem with it but at the same time i have no problem at all with wheeler's response it's a response to be quite honest that that it's not a response i was looking for i would have rather had something you know him expunge or elaborate on it but it's definitely not something that i i'm surprised to have gotten in 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 response to that uh i think this is just the these are these interactions you're looking for you're looking for passion just trying to elicit some passion i got it back maybe not in as long of an answer as i would have wanted but i i stand by it i think it's a fair question i definitely think it's a fair answer as well what, what's your take on no it? right on no right on and i think the other thing uh, you know it's not a matter of media taking shots at players but sometimes you know sometimes you want the real emotion and you saw real emotion uh, from Blake Wheeler there. So, and then, then that's okay. I mean, this is a guy who wears his heart on his sleeve. Uh, he wasn't, you know, wasn't snippy. I, I, you know, it wasn't, I, you know, to me, I think there, you saw some, you know, you saw a guy who's been in that situation before. 
was obviously frustrated and you know I think to a degree bit his tongue a little bit and I think to me that in some ways it's leadership right I mean instead of lashing out I think he knows that the team needs to be better so he he bit his lip after that and, and moved on to the next question which is totally fair and and as you mentioned I mean it's not like you you know you were asking you want an honest answer I mean the Jets have lost six in a row we can't say is this the high point of the season it's a season high six yeah. consecutive losses so you want to know where the players are at in terms of their headspace that's important fans are wondering they want to know what the way what the way out of it is so to me you're looking for an answer you got one everybody moves on i mean we've seen much more heated or contra confrontational exchanges in the room before oh god yeah yeah no doubt <laughs> yeah that that was that was light you know that, that yeah. was the light version of that happening and you know again i just want to make it clear yeah i think to your point, you you make a good point. I mean, there's there's you can look at it from that perspective. There's leadership in that, right? Like there's there's probably a, a, a feeling of of and, and here, let me back this up a little bit. The worst thing that we can do, Ken, I I believe this is what I believe in that situation where you noted it's a six game losing streak. The worst thing you can do is go into that press conference and say, you know, what was good about your game tonight what did you like about your game like in kind yeah. of soft pedal it we're right. not doing anyone any service like the fact of the matter is this is what whether it's the season low or not this is not where the winnipeg jets want to be this is a disaster compared to a team that thought it was capable of of challenging Contender. the Stanley cup this is disaster territory where they are at this stage i think 13th now in in the yeah. conference so if we're not asking questions about the disaster situation that they're in we aren't doing our job right and clearly hey if when i have a bad day ken and if if i come out of having a bad day and i mess things up and believe me there's you could go back through the Many tape, all the tape that you've seen of me, you'll find many examples of me screwing up. If I had to get, get up in front of someone after that and, and they asked me questions about screwing up, yeah, I'd be getting my back up as well. We totally understand it. This is the kind of stuff that's going to happen, and people have been talking about it. They've been using the pissy comment uh, from uh, uh, our good buddy Jim Matheson. Like, this is what's going to happen when things aren't going good. People aren't happy about it, and when you get asked about something you're not happy about, you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to be sunshine and roses, right? So these are the, to me, this is the job. This is how it goes. You're going to be putting yourself in a situation sometimes where people aren't happy with you. Uh, we all got to do our jobs. That's how it, I take it. And, and it was and Blake Wheeler may have an entirely different opinion of that, and that's fair too. It, you know. He he's got the right to look at it the way he wants to look at it as well. I would say too, just you know, people making jokes about pissy. I mean, Blake gave a measured response. I, no, no, oh, neither I, one of us is suggesting it was a pissy response. So, oh uh, no, I, I think they're just. I think fans are just joking yeah. around, but yeah. uh, and again, this is the other part. Sometimes as a journalist, you have to lead with your chin. I mean, you know that uh, there's the potential of someone biting back, and that was I wouldn't even call that biting back, to be honest. No, I wouldn't either. Uh, so let's get to the game, Ken. Sure. I, I, let's. We, I mean, it's I'm, it's a little late for me to ask you to go to the buffet. It's a late night buffet. We're twenty minutes into the show, but give me your breakdown of that game. What you think went went wrong? Well, I'm going to say, uh, you know, uh, 
I don't have to discriminate about timing when it comes to the buffet. You know, sometimes you just got to wait till the next round of food comes out. So there you go. This is uh, a I man mean, who knows how to eat, right? Here. Yeah, not afraid, not afraid, not afraid. Uh, you know, we should be in St. Louis on the weekend, uh, going to a buffet at the barbecue style uh, <laughs> yes. by the hotel. But uh, another time, great. another time. Uh, I know. To be honest, I mean, it's interesting. Another one of those nights where, yes, the Jets gave up the first goal, but. Uh, they kind of regroup shortly after, you know, le- just over two minutes after. Kind of a nice play. Wheeler flips it in the air, caught, bats it out of the air. You think maybe the Jets are ready to roll. They kind of stabilize, but then they came out a little bit flat in the second period. And as you mentioned, I mean, this is the thing for me. I mean, it, you know, it's not a lack of effort or try, but there's got to be another level for this group, right? I mean, with everything we've heard about in terms of we, we know that the team doesn't quit and they're still trying but there there's got to be another level for this team to find it and, and to me that's the biggest thing that they're trying to sort out we talk about it a lot we've talked about it you know ad nauseum and people are kind of sick of it but this is the thing the jets still are looking for an identity dave lowry talked about what he wants it to be in terms of harder to play against and i thought that that was an exceptional answer for those people who just think this is old school, that Dave Lowry, when he says he wants his team to be hard to play against, I encourage you to go and listen to what he had to say. This isn't about trying to run the other team out of the rink or you know having five fights a night. It's not like that at all. He wants some physical play from the guys who are physical. He also wants the skilled players to get in on the puck and make it difficult for the defenseman with your speed, with your stick, with tenacity. I mean, I love the explanation. And you hear the same thing all the time. You heard it in Patrick Alvin's press conference yesterday in Vancouver about how they want to be a hard team to play against. Every team in the NHL wants to be a hard team to play against. That doesn't mean abandon your skill, but it means your skilled players have to make life difficult on the opponent in the ways that they can do so. And that's not necessarily, uh, he said it flat out, I don't expect Kyle Connor to be running a defenseman through the end boards, but I expect him to use his speed to get on the puck and create some disruption down low and generate offense from it. So, I mean, folks that think this is just some, you know, archaic uh, strategy and wanting to run the team out of the rink, that deserves a wake up. Like, listen to the answer. Now it's about, now the Jets trying to find a way to do it. Because right now they don't have an identity. They're not a defensively sound team. And they're not an offensive juggernaut. So when you're neither one of those things, you're going to be searching for your identity, Sean, aren't you? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. And you know what I'll t- see, see? Like, the strangest part about this, Ken, is I take a look at that game, and I think the Jets generated a lot of really quality chances. Sure. You know? like, and, and the funny part about this is, and I said, I said, I think I've said this. I definitely have talked with you about it away from the show. I don't know if I've brought it into the show. Yeah. But the Winnipeg Jets for years have been this team. You know, I had Spec, uh, Mark Spector, yep. text me after the game and be like, "What's going on with your guys?" You know, one of the things I'll say here is this: Imagine what the Jets would have looked like over the last couple of years if Connor Hellebuck wasn't the giant eraser right. that like got rid of a lot of mistakes. Right? Like we could have seen this kind of hockey from the Jets in years past if Connor Hellebuck wasn't bailing them out. So maybe we shouldn't be overly surprised. Agreed. I, I still am surprised that the Jets have sunk this low, but maybe yeah. we shouldn't be surprised because Connor Hellebuck has not had a Vesna caliber season like he's had in years past. 
And so when you aren't erasing so many of those mistakes, maybe this what it is what it looks like more often. But the thing that has me a little bit baffled through this, Ken, is all those years with Connor Hellebuck kind of saving the day, how often did the Jets just kind of turn it around, get a big save from him, and yeah. walk down the ice and score a goal and end up outscoring a team that had outchanced them and outshot them and was the better offensive team on the night at everything except putting the puck in the back of the net. It's almost like, I, I hate using these terms because I, I don't think it applies, but it's like the Jets used up all their puck luck, or let's not say puck luck, but opportunism over the last couple of years, and it just does not exist in this moment. Like, the funny part about it, Ken, you talk, talked about that Andrew Kopp goal. It's a bit of a lucky goal, right? Like, the goal contender gets caught out of position because he's trying to face a shot that gets redirected, goes up in the air, and gets batted out of the air. It's a bounce that goes in the Jets' direction. We talked about this on the last show the funny part about this is through this streak of bad games the jets have been getting bounces they've been getting bounces that end up in the back of the net so you can't even say the jets aren't getting their bounces they just can't seem to put it in the back of the net i was going to ask dave lowry about this um but the press conference got uh, i didn't get to get my final question in um but like, do you think the Jets are squeezing their sticks right now? I do. I think there was twice tonight that there were passes over to Mark Shifley for one timers that yeah. he 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 shot the puck. It didn't come off his stick right, or he kind of whiffed on it. And I thought, you know, if things were going well for the Jets right now, those are goals that are back are yeah. in the back of the net. But can we blame this on the Jets' offense squeezing their stick at this stage? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be part of it. I mean, and this is the this is the other part. When I was on the second intermission with Murph, our buddy Dan Murphy, on the uh, you know the Canucks broadcast, I said the second period is like that's a microcosm of the losing streak. The Jets have two really good shifts. You know, Nate Schmidt riddle, rattles one off the crossbar. You get another thing off the post, and then what happens? A simple breakdown on a three and three is in the back of the net, and bam, they're down again. Right? Like, this is the thing. There there are signs. But they're not over an extended period. And, and, and you're right. I mean, Mark Shifley had an open net one-timer that he hit pretty hard, but it was over the net, right? And when you're feeling good, when you're feeling confident, when things are rolling smoothly, that's bar down or in the back of the net, right? I mean, instead, Spencer Martin's thanking his lucky stars. It goes over the net. And you know what? Credit to the individual. He got his first NHL win. You know, he was the best goalie tonight. That, that Again, that's not to say Connor Hellebuck, he didn't get enough help, but Spencer Martin did the job. He only gave up one. I mean, it's you're going to win a lot of nights when you only give up one. So um, it's just such an interesting time. And yeah, I mean, I do agree. There are times where the guys are squeezing their stick. I mean, great example. Johnny Kovacevic makes an incredibly smart read, gets into the slot, but he shovels it wide, right? I mean, if, if he's not playing in his first NHL game, you know, if, that's, if he's playing in the American League, Sean, that's probably in the back of the net, right? So, again, and that's not a knock. I thought there were a lot of, you know, a lot of good things shown by Johnny Kovacevic. And one quick thing. I mean, the beauty of technology, we've talked about it on our show a lot. we got people tuning in from all over the planet, all over the world. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Johnny Kovacevic talked about his sister not being able to attend because she lives in New Zealand. But his mother and father and brother were at the game today, and when he went out for the hot lap, they were able to FaceTime Johnny's sister in New Zealand. I mean, yeah. that's just great stuff. I mean, again, this is not about unicorns and rainbows and painting a rosy picture over what's a tough time. But this, these are moments that families live for, 
I mean, all of the sacrifices and struggle. I mean, Johnny Kovacevic would have had his debut against the Detroit Red Wings, but ended up in COVID protocol. I mean, when you're in that situation as a player, one thing that's running through your head is, oh my God, I hope I didn't miss my chance, right? And you can't spend a lot of time thinking about that. Kovacevic comes off the COVID list, goes back, plays great hockey, and then gets the call when it comes to him, and then makes a really good case for himself. I really liked, again, of course, he made one turnover on the stick of Elias Pettersson, where, you know, I think he just kind of, again, he just got a little bit eager, over-eager behind the net. He thought he could sauce it over, but Elias Pettersson showing that incredible hand-eye knocks it down. Fortunately for Kovacevic, Connor Hellbuck made the save, and, you know, that's one where you tap the goalie on the pads, and that's a mistake you're not going to make the next time because you're going to learn from it. So to me, I liked a lot about what Johnny Kovacevic did tonight. And let's get into this right now. You know, we were we were a little bit hard on Vili Hainala the other night because it yeah. was a rough goal for Vili Hainala. But as I said, I liked his game as it went on. His second was better than his first, and his third was better than his second. So what happened today? Vili Hainala showed some nice plays. I mean, there were a couple times I felt like he panicked with the puck. <coughs> Sorry, which is natural okay. for a guy playing just the second NHL game of the season. But today, I saw a lot, a lot more calm plays, which is what you expect. Use your strengths. You're a good offensive player. He made some nice plays, got some shots through, defended a little better. That's what you have to do if you have an opportunity. Logan Stanley and Dylan Sandberg are week to week. That means there is opportunity. So Vili Hainala went from 10 minutes and change to 12 minutes and change. I understand some folks will still be up in arms. They want him running on the first power play. I get it. But guess what? Nate Schmidt has 10 of his 19 points on the power play. He deserves to be on the first power play when he's there. Uh, I'm really curious about Neil Pionk's status. I, I incredible. He blocked that shot. He was unable to get off the ice or into the play on the fifth goal by Pedersen. But I don't think he had another shift. He was writhing in pain, but he wanted to stay on the bench with his teammates. He could have been the first guy off the ice, put an ice bag on that, and you know had an early shower. So that is an example of Hart and trying to battle through. But if I wonder how that foot is going to look in the morning, Sean. We know that when the boot comes off, oh. that's when the swelling happens. And for the Jets, this isn't a situation where you have 48 hours before the game. It's an afternoon game against the St. Louis Blues. So to me, we'll see what is said tomorrow. I don't expect much of an update. But man, if, if the Jets are down another defenseman, boy, oh boy, that that's a big blow uh, for their team. But regardless, let's go back to my original question. What do you think of Kovacevic? What do you think of Hanela and his response? Okay, I'll start with Hanela. I thought he came shaky out of the gate right off the bat. Uh, and there was definitely a couple. I mean, this is, this is the difference between, you know, pro players and really good players and, and and guys who are you know either breaking into the league this is what shows with new guys is like the pro players the percentage of times that they make the right play with the puck is high 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 even with guys who aren't very good nhlers and we know this we know that games quite often are decided by mistakes they just can't be made La last game to start the game billy hale gets the puck and instead of like pushing it slowly to the corner where a jets player can get it he fires it too hard goes to the point ends up in the back of the net that's how it goes well he started out similar with a couple plays in this game and i thought right away again it's it's like okay he's he needs a little bit of time 
Napier to get his feet underneath him, but he needs to start getting his feet underneath him. I, I agree with you. His game tonight was definitely better than his last game. He got better as the game went on, which is a good a good thing because what it shows to me is that a, a guy who started out and, and had a couple shaky plays and turned over some pucks could have, you know, started squeezing the stick even more and headed in the opposite direction we've seen Agreed. it happen before and he kind of <laughs> caught himself he was falling and like last night the or sorry last game he was falling and he didn't grasp the handrail he went down tonight he started falling grasped the handrail steadied himself and then started getting better as the game went on dave, dave lowry said the same thing thought he had a better game than he did last night it wasn't what <laughs> Sorry, I when you're bring it again today. when I you're didn't... oh play the song at oh. least let's go let's go okay let's just play the song is that can we do that yes oh, my. Okay, do, let's it. do it let's just play it let's play the song we need some joy in this land here let's play sean's headband Sorry, what you what you also get is a wake up. If you want the song played, get the headband in your in your bag. Let's go. Let's go. I feel so much shame right now. I feel so much shame, but at you the should. same time, I'm so happy because that rocks. Tristan Rivers, you rock, man. That was awesome. Those songs get better every time I hear them. I thought I would have thought, Ken, last year, if you would have told me that like my joy level was increasing every time I heard that song in like January of the next year, I would have thought I'd be sick of that song because I'm going to tell you a stupid story. <laughs> After Tristan sent me that song, I played it for my daughters and they loved it. And we used to go out and act like idiots on the trampoline and jump and rock to that song in the backyard and I would just play it over and on over repeat and it's over on repeat and it was hilarious because my kids just loved it I do these stupid moves on the trampoline the whole time uh, but anyways like I would have thought at this point it would be like okay no I, I hear that song I love it even more every time awesome absolutely awesome beautiful uh, and hey, again hey you said earlier when you have a bad day well guess what now I'm here to pick you up when you have a bad day alright that's what we're here much. for you and again you wake up I, <laughs> I, deserve, I deserved it. I deserved it. I, that was I that was a fun, loving wake up. And again, we had a long, you know, great. We love these Thursdays. We love the double headers. But man, for the folks who weren't with us in the afternoon, go check out our long form edition of the Kenny and Rennie show with Leah Hextall and Corey Hirsch. Um, some oh. great stuff in there. We had a lot of fun, a lot of uh, a lot of energy, a lot of passion, uh, a lot of joy. Uh, and also, we tackled some pretty uh, deep topics that were, uh, you know, important. And I think folks are going to enjoy it if you have a chance to go out and uh, check it out at some point during the weekend here. I think it was absolutely phenomenal. I loved that show. Uh, it was great. Okay, let me finish up. Now let me get to COVID-7. Clearly, started the game, had a little bit of a hard time. I thought towards the end of the game, there was one point where he jumped up into the play. I think that was still in the second period. Yeah, yeah that was, was the one down period. low, yeah. And he had such a close chance. Now you could tell it's it's a little bit of rookie jitters. He got the puck and missed the missed the net wide by about a foot. But the one thing about it that I thought was good is the spot that he was trying to hit was the right spot. Right, great he read. Didn't walk great read. Down. He didn't walk down and just throw it right into the middle of the jersey. He didn't hit the whale. He didn't hit the orca in the middle of the crest. He went for the right spot. Now, he missed, and that to me, that's a little bit of rookie jitters right there. But what it tells me is his recognition on the ice yep. 
He was recognizing the right play, which means his head was right. He, too, got better as the game went on. A little bit of a rough start. My guess is if you took every guy who started in the NHL, their first games can often look a little bit rough or they look like absolutely nothing. And honestly, I think I'd rather take a guy who makes some early mistakes and gets better and starts showing some potential as the game goes on than a guy who just puts on the seatbelt and plays it safe for the entire game. Johnny Kovacevic is, like, if you get to listen to him talk, he's an A1 human being. I like that guy. He's great. Uh, Paul Maurice said he thinks he's going to be in the NHL someday. I think he will be, too. Uh, so I like the courage he showed in yep. rebounding from what was a tough start in that game. S- size and mobility, and this is the thing, not overwhelmed. Uh, he went no bucket for the warm-up. He was, I said to Mike McIntyre, I mean, we, we like our re- we like our wrestling references. He looked a little bit like when Mick Foley was mankind in the WWE days. His hair was flowing everywhere. It was kind of over his eyes. I said uh, all he needed out there instead of a hockey stick, he needed that club that uh, Mick Foley had with the barbed wire wrapped around it. Then that was going to be his uh, WWE persona. Back to... Back to what he said in the morning. I love how he talked about the scenic route that he took to the NHL. And again, we talk about this all the time. You know, uh, you know, the draft is important, of course. You know, here's a guy passed over twice. You know, he went back even further, cut from AAA, cut twice from the OHL. Guess what? He's in now in the NFL or the NHL registry. You know what happens when you're in that book? You can't be erased. He's in the registry for good, and that's probably the first game, uh, certainly of several and probably of many. Uh, And for me, you know, Sean, this is another great example. He fits the mentality of the Jets' defense. You got a bunch of these guys, undrafted guys who play with a chip in their shoulder. Neil Pionk, Nate Schmidt, Brandon Dillon. Yes, Kovacevic was drafted, but after being passed over twice, he has that kind of mentality, and he's a guy I think that just... Touched on. This is just scratching of the surface for Johnny Kovacevic, and that's good for the Winnipeg Jets because we're already talking about you know making room for Dylan Sandberg, making room for Vili Hanala, making room for somebody like Kovacevic, and down the road Declan Chisholm. And guess what? Leon Gavanka would also like a word at some point. Uh, obviously, <laughs> he needs a little you know to come a little bit further than some of those other guys but uh, an important first step for Johnny Kovacevic and the big thing for me he didn't look overwhelmed by the situation and as you mentioned learn from an early a couple of early mistakes um, I wanted to get into something here. First of all, I love the salami on the shoulder comment. Did you know, like, so, so I, I remember going to socials out in Lactabani, and I thought I invented the salami on the shoulder trick. I'd never heard of it before, and oh, I got boy. this right idea, and I went and I did it to a buddy, the old tap on the shoulder. You're all right, buddy. You're all right. And then next thing you know, the salami's on the shoulder. And then you find out that you were just the latest in this long-standing, rich history of sandwich meats on the shoulder at yeah. – uh, uh, Man, man, I love being a Manitoban when it comes to stuff it's like great. that. Great reference. I wanted to ask you a question. Yeah. Do we need to hear from Kevin Shovel Day off right now? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I am expecting. You know, there's usually a, a state of the union that happens around the midway point. Um, I think maybe this year the timing will be a little bit different. Uh, that's something that often happens on a road trip. Uh, when a couple of the beat writers or several of the beat writers sit down with Kevin, usually at a practice between games, um, because there are just so few people traveling, you know, the Winnipeg Free Press has been traveling full time. 
um, and deserve credit for doing that. But yeah, a lot of the other yeah, companies, yeah. a lot of the other companies like our own, uh, have put a travel, um, you know, not ban but moratorium kind of in place. And you know, that's not to say they don't want to travel, but you know, companies have also had, including ours, have had writers and broadcasters stuck in the states for 10 to 14 days at a time. So that's a tough thing with COVID. So we understand why the travel is not happening. So uh, what I would say is I'm expecting to hear from Kevin Shevel day off. Uh, will it be before the midway point? I don't think so. But I think we'll be seeing some words from Kevin Shevel day off probably coming out of the All-Star break. But is, do I think it's important for him to have a State of the Union? Yes, I do. For the reasons that we explained the last time on the show. And for those who weren't here... To me, it's important because A, the Jets entered the season feeling like they were a contender. And B, on December 17th, when Paul Maurice resigned and Dave Lowry took over, when Kevin Sheveldayoff spoke first to his team, then to the media, he made a personal personal challenge to them, both privately and publicly. So I think we would like to know how he feels his team has responded to that challenge. And we don't expect him to tell us what the plan is going to be going into the deadline, but he's certainly going to be asked about it. Well, so I'm going to go and I'm going to say, you know me, I, I'll take all the access I can get. You know what right. I mean? And, and I, I think at this stage, where the Jets are at right now, th- there's too many questions. Too many people have questions at this stage right now. And I don't, I don't like, where are the Jets at in this stage? Are we at a point where... If you're a fan, do you do you, let, let me put it like this? If you're a fan, do you, do you deserve to know the mind space of a GM at this stage and whether he's thinking, look, uh, I'm not running out, I'm not beating the phone lines trying to make trades, um, but I'd be open to it at this stage. Or maybe you say, like, look, some calls have been made. Like maybe it's we we've heard this from GMs before who come out and say, like, look, I've made calls. I'm not afraid to shake up this roster if I feel that's what I need to do. I'll do that, right? We there, there's a ton of ways that you can handle these situations and hear these things and keep people in communication. Right now, it seems strange because and maybe it's not strange because we know this organization can they like to keep things behind closed doors they talked about it tonight they're going to stick together that's how they're going to get through this and you know that's a smart thing to do that's how you do it but at the same time uh i i mean i think i think i'm not out to lunch here when i think that the the fan base wants answers or they want to have an idea of what's happening right now this to me is an unprecedented level or low for this Winnipeg Jets team. I can't think of them being as low in the standings as they've been like this. In the years that they have been like that, there's been built-in excuses. The defense isn't good enough. Dustin Bufflin left this team in alerts. There's been these kind of problems, right? There, there, There's so many questions about what is happening with this team right now, and there's really not any answers coming out from any direction. And at this stage, to the point, I'll bring up the same thing that we said in past shows, if you're Kevin Sheveldayoff, and to your point, went in and challenged the team both behind closed doors and publicly, and then this is the answer... I want to know as a fan what my take is or what the GM's take is on the response to your point that we've seen at this stage. I, I, I just think, you know, again, I know that Kevin Sheveldayoff isn't the guy who come, likes to come out and do a whole... He's, he's typically not going to do media veils that 
he doesn't typically do or he hasn't set aside for a specific time. I just feel like right now there needs to be a communication between this organization and its fans about how the team feels about its performance in this moment and what it expects going forward. Yeah, quick one for me. And I understand what you're saying. I mean, again, would transparency be great? Sure. What I would counter with, if you're Kevin Dayoff, you can't show your hand publicly or else the GM vultures are coming at you. It hurts your bargaining position to say, my doors are open. It's a fire sale. Come on down. I do think, I think it does. Okay. Okay. Personally, I I mean... I mean, I, I think I think if you throw it out there that, hey, listen, I'm not going to panic and I'm going to do what I think is right for this team. But am I open to making some changes that I think will get this team to, you know, going in the right direction? Right. You're damn right I am. You are not stating any kind of position by saying that okay. other than, listen, if you've got an offer out there, I'm willing to listen to it, right? One thing we know about this Winnipeg Jets team, they have a ton of talent, right? On paper, you look at this right. team and there are a ton of assets. So if I'm a GM and I'm sitting somewhere and I think, okay, well, here's here's a player I always wanted on the Winnipeg Jets. Maybe now's my time to make this offer, and maybe the offer that, that they give is one, is one that's fair. Now, I'm not saying that he needs to go, like, Okay, Ken. If your if your point is that basically the Jets are going to have to do something, if this doesn't work right. out, and they're going to have to attack the core, then maybe it puts you in a position of weakness. Because if Kevin Cheveldayoff at some point feels like he has to make moves, well, then you're backed up against the wall a little bit. But if you're Kevin Cheveldayoff and you're willing to stand pat with this lineup and wait for it to turn around, but you're also willing to see what's out there, I I don't think that you know hanging up the you know interested buyers stop by <laughs> can they can they come have a look now who's to say he hasn't done that behind the scenes can he that's what i mean a GM, a gm doesn't need us to do that but it comes back to the idea that if it is happening communication with the fans on something like this fans are fr- frustrated right now they should be frustrated they're not liking what they're seeing i had people texting me tonight saying right. you know i'm glad i didn't my four tickets that i own aren't being used right now to go watch what's happening on the ice right now. These are your customers. These are the people who are paying the bills. I think they would like some answers on the direction of where this team is going. I think it's a fair ask at this stage. No, and I'm not saying it's not fair, but I mean, as our friend Elliot Friedman likes to say, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And if we're talking about a potential blockbuster, let's look no further than how the Jets handled the Patrick Laine situation. Patrick Laine's people made it clear uh, that was the passive-aggressive trade request. Um, you know, it wasn't in a demand, but it was, I think, that both sides would benefit. What happened? How was that handled? Patrick Laine said he was here to play. He played the first game. He was the best player on the ice. But quietly, the Jets were taking calls. And then made a trade. They didn't come out and say, we're trading Patrick Liney. They said, we're looking and exploring all options. Same with Jacob Truba. Most people expected Jacob Truba to be moved when he was moved. But the Jets didn't say, we're accepting offers on Jacob Truba. Highest bidder gets him. At least not publicly. But teams knew that those players were available when they were available. And ultimately, trades were made in order to make those deals happen. So what we don't know is how Kevin Dayoff and the management team feels about the group. Do they feel another core change is necessary? And that's, I mean, that's the million-dollar question. I just don't expect to hear the answer to that at a podium 
or at least I don't expect it to have a tra totally transparent answer because that's when you run into trouble. Uh, I know some people, I mean, again, Mark Shifley is a name that keeps coming up in the chat room. I don't expect for one, I mean, I don't expect for one second Kevin Dayoff to make any player public and say, come on down, let the bidding be open for these guys. The bigger question will be, or not bigger, one of the questions will be at what, where's the breaking point or what is the cutoff? It's still almost two full months before the trade deadline happens and arrives. It's later than normal, but how long are the Jets going to wait before determining if they're A, a buyer, or B, a seller? And are you only a seller for your pending UFAs, or do you feel a bigger move is necessary? And are you better off making that move in February or making it in June or July leading into the draft? Because to me, that that's the biggest decision that's going to happen. When are the moves going to be made? And to what degree are they going to be made if they are made? So let's look at it from this perspective. And the Jets are already in a tough spot, right? And yep. we know we know that like they're still not at the halfway point of the season. One more game, they're at the halfway point of the season, right? But I, I said this earlier on when I did a hit uh, with Tim and friends yep. uh, earlier today. If you're the Jets right now and you've got five teams ahead of you in the standings, and like we've said, and I truly, I truly, truly believe this, if you're the Jets right now, you can basically take a look at the top four spots in in the Central Division, and you take a look at what happened tonight. You know, like just a bunch of wins across the board on, for teams that the Jets are competing against. You know, St. Louis takes another step forward. Uh, Nashville loses, but they get another point. So the top four is is almost like assuredly out of reach in the central division which means that you've got one shot you've got the second wild cards and the best case scenario is that you're going to play the colorado avalanche in the first round fine you get into the playoffs anything can happen so you you know you'll take that if that's what it comes down to but you are now in a position where you've fallen behind far enough there's enough teams ahead of you not only do you need to be really 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 good for the rest of the season, you need to turn it on and be really good, but you need not just one or two, you need like three, four, or five teams ahead of you to stumble. Now there's probably a pool of about eight teams that you could get the five teams to stumble out of, but their, their fate is quickly slipping out of their hands. At what stage can, do the Jets either have to do something or just decide that they're I, I mean, I guess I, I, I didn't think that this was possible. Do you think it's possible the Jets are going to be sellers in not long from now? Uh, anything is possible. Uh, I've said from the very beginning, um, I expected the Jets to try to add if they could, but we know there are challenges with the salary cap. Uh, do I expect a full fire sale? No, but I mean, if the Jets fall, like somewhere in the neighborhood, if they can't get this snowball turned around or at least stopped, I mean, Nate Schmidt said it yesterday. The Jets are at a point where they can't be just going one and one. They're going to have to rip off a five-game winning streak here. I mean, no better example, Sean, than the team the Jets played. What did the Vancouver Canucks do from going down and out in Beverly Hills to back in the race? They won eight games in a row. A team that everyone said was terrible, needed to change everybody, trade everybody, get rid of everybody. They won eight games in a row, and now they're one of the hottest teams in the Western Conference. So that's what is required. Uh, we saw that team today. 
in a desperation game, they beat their opponent 5-1. to one. So can the Jets get that turned around and be the team that's somehow beating other teams 5-1? to one? Well, that's up, for, up to them to show that. Uh, do I expect the Jets to punt on the season in February? No. But I do expect them to have to be realistic about their situation. So they're going to have to turn around. That's why I say, I don't know what the cutoff point is. Is the, is the cutoff point February 15th? I don't know. The trade deadline's March 21st. And the most interesting thing, Sean, you and I have talked about this um, at various points. So let's use Andrew Kopp as a great example. If the Jets are going, if the Jets fall out of it and they're going to move Andrew Kopp, he has a reasonable salary, right? But if a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning is interested, let's just say for an example, I you know, you checked the scouting chart the other day. They were one of the teams watching Andrew Kopp. Yep. yep. And he fits. I mean, this is a guy. If you're a team, if you're a contending team, would you like to add a middle six forward that plays on the first penalty killing unit and can play on the second power play if you'd like him to? And is probably going to score 20 goals this year and is available for under $5 million? Yeah. I think I would like to add him to my team. He's a great replacement for Coleman or Goodrow in that spot there. That's that. I mean, if you're the, right. if you're the Tampa Bay and you can stay where you've stayed in the standings and then go to the playoffs and actually replace those guys with a similar or capable replacement, that's a good that's a good pickup. I, when I saw him there the other day, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Anyways, sorry to interrupt. Sorry, and no, but the thing is, if they're if the, if you got to wait for Tampa, some teams. Let's just use Tampa as an example. But the teams are at the cap or at near the ceiling. Most of those teams have to wait until almost right up to the cap, so they can squeeze. I mean, maybe sorry, and I should know this, but if the if the Lightning are in LTIR, then it's maybe a different scenario. But there's right. a lot of teams that are are you know saving pennies every single day to earn extra cap space leading up to the deadline. So. The market will also dictate when trades will be made to a certain degree. And again, will the Jets have to you know, retain any salary to try to enhance the value? I mean, Paul Stastny, that also makes sense. And I mean, we've talked about this privately as well. And I think I might have even said it on the show. If Paul Stastny wasn't coming back to Winnipeg, I thought the Colorado Avalanche were where Paul Stastny may have signed in the offseason before he signed with Winnipeg. Do you think, Paul, you think the Colorado Avalanche who were having trouble getting past the second round, do you think they could benefit from having Paul Stastny on their third line and second power play, maybe killing the odd penalty in the playoffs? Man, I certainly do think that he would be a valuable add for them and many other teams who are interested. But I think first and foremost, the Jets would like to keep those players. And I think the Jets, you know, at a, at a reduced rate, I think much like this year, the Jets would be interested in having Paul Stastny back. Can they make that happen and sign Pierre-Luc Dubois to a new deal? I'm not sure. But these are the questions that are that will have to be asked by the Winnipeg Jets management team. Uh, here's the other part. And I understand the whole, you know, the whole get something, you know, you can't. I don't believe for a second the Jets would be getting nothing for Andrew Kopp. They got seven years of Andrew Kopp as excellent play. You know, you know it's hard to replace a guy that plays twenty to twenty-two minutes. But at the same time, if the Jets are able to turn Andrew Kopp into a player that has team control or a term on his contract, I don't. You know, do you consider a first-round pick? Sure, but based on where the Jets are at in their cycle. I think you want a player that is under contract and has some term left if you're thinking about having to move on from Andrew Kopp if you think you can't sign him to an extension. Um, 
let's go to uh, the Hellebuck situation. Uh, sure. Do we, do we think? Do we think Comrie's starting the next game? I don't. No. I mean, based okay. on. I mean, do you? I certainly don't think so. I think that I think that Connor Hellebuck is going to get a reset at the All Star game. That's uh, so interesting. I, I think I read a story coming out of Florida. You know, we saw him this week, Sergey Bobrovsky. What a great season he's having, Sean. You know what the best thing is for the Florida Panthers? Even though this is one of those guys that you probably saw in all those snub lists, the best thing for the Florida Panthers is that Bob doesn't have to go to the All-Star game and get involved in a 12-7 wide-open three-on-three game where you get lit up and you have no defense. And, you know, even if you're, you know, you're going to try to whatever levels you're trying at, and it's a fun showcase. But the best news for the Florida Panthers Sergey Bobrovsky gets to kick, kick up his feet and not worry about either pulling his groin in a game, trying to make a save on a three-on-nothing, or or something else coming out of that kind of a scenario. But, I mean, man, there are fascinating days ahead here, and I'm very curious to see how things turn. Like I said, I don't think the Jets are going to punt on the season in the next couple of weeks if things continue to go poorly, but uh, you never know. Uh, when it comes to Eric Comrie, I think that, I mean... Here's what I would say. I think that if the Jets were considering using Eric Comrie against the St. Louis Blues, he would have played in the third period tonight. I think the Jets are going to ride Hellebuck Saturday afternoon, Tuesday night. He will go and get a break. He'll unplug, spend some time with his family and his newborn. Eric Comrie will have some practice time. Coming out of the break, he's going to have to be used. Uh, We know the Jets have a busy February Hellebuck is going to have to play a lot down the stretch. It's 40, 40 games in 81 days. But you can't. I can't see Hellebuck playing 36 of them. I mean, I think he's going to play 32 to 34. But I, I, Eric Comrie is going to have to get some starts in the second half. He's had six so far. Um, I mean, man, going into the year, Sean, we thought Comrie might need 18 to 20 starts. And now, you know, barring something unforeseen, he's barely going to get into double digits. So that puts an awfully big burden on Connor Hellebuck. But guess what? That's part of the fun of the position. Some guys thrive when they can get into a rhythm. And I think that Hellebuck plays Saturday and Tuesday. Um, I was blown away by this. Uh, Julie Sue, who is always on our show, that truly was some of the worst hockey I've seen this team play this year and that is saying something I can't be positive about them anymore and that is saying something because whenever I say something that is not you know displaying the Jets in a somewhat negative light Julie is all over me she is the eternal optimist when it comes to this team so uh, maybe it's rock bottom for I I would ask her does she think the Jets have hit rock bottom because uh, that question is 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 you know, top of mind tonight. Tracy asks this about the coaching. Jesse's coaching, coaching, and more coaching. And I saw someone earlier on, and this is going to be the last thing before we go, Ken. Someone had said something about, you know, the Jets needing coach. They, they've got the lineup. The move is to do something with the coach. Kevin Sheveldayoff came out and said Dave Lowry will be the coach until the end of the season here. I think when you make that call, you're giving a guy a vote of confidence to say, let's see if we can turn this around. But to your point, you know, if you're not making big changes to the core, if you're not becoming a seller, don't you have to do something? And if it, if Kevin Sheveldayoff is going to do something, is it maybe trying to go get uh, a different coach? I know he he'd said till the end of the year, but things change. Is, is there any chance that that happens? No, and I don't. To me, I understand folks are getting up in arms, saying Dave Dave Lowry's a smart hockey guy. He's a good coach, and for people saying he has no head coaching experience, 
check the hockey DB out, folks. Come on now. He's he's a smart hockey guy. Right now, his players are not executing. And I can tell you right now, the coaching staff is working and looking for solutions the same way they were when Paul Maurice was here. They're not looking for the same solutions. They're looking for solutions and trying to find a way out of, uh, as I said, the abyss right now. It feels like the abyss for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, but, I mean, again... We know that these guys are frustrated, of course, but they're not going to, you know, Dave Lowry's not going to throw his hands up in the air and say, you know what, I'm good. You know, I've been waiting my whole life to be a head coach, but you know what, you know, six-game losing streak, you know, why don't you have a chance at it? Let's get real. This is a guy who loves coaching. Coaches love looking for solutions. Dave Lowry knows this is an opportunity for him, and he also knows that there's pressure on him to perform and for the team to perform. So uh, I expect him to continue to work hard at it, and look for solutions and if the execution is better the Jets can get it going but uh, right now I don't see a uh, you know a, a panic move at the coaching position I just I, and I'll say this and I don't know because I've had people were asking about this uh, and saying like what do you do at this stage I just got to say like if this doesn't turn around I think there's an expectation at some point that it does I know they're not going to lose out for the rest of the season but they're going to need to do more than just win a couple here maybe win three games yep. and start losing back and forth I just don't know how you go the rest of the year without doing anything if this is where we're headed right like I, I don't I, well trade is the next move right it's not I mean to me it's not you've already changed the coach so it's going to have agreed. to be a trade agreed yeah, I agree, but I mean, I, I don't I don't know. He, Chevy doesn't seem like a panic guy to me. He's clearly not. He takes his time. He's very measured with these kind of things. I think some people would say maybe to the degree that you know his problem isn't that he moves too fast. Maybe it's that he moves too slow. Uh, but boy, oh boy, this cannot continue. Something is going to have to be done because otherwise, I just you've got to do what you can to try and affect the situation. And unless the Jets are okay with saying, you know. We'll lose out. We'll get a draft pick and we'll rebound and try and do this again next year. We still believe we have the team. We just got to get the right coach in place or whatever it is. I just, that's a dangerous game to play with the fans sitting this one out and not trying to affect the outcome of this. Um, Kenny, you were on fire tonight. People were talking about it. Uh, Sorry about the yelling. That's okay. So was the chat room. Great stuff here tonight uh, on this show, anyways. going to see on Saturday night. It's going to be a tough one against the Blues. Early start, I think it's a 3 o'clock start, so Kenny and Rennie will two, be around. 2, 2. o'clock, yeah. So it'll be it'll be an earlier Kenny and Rennie show. There's going to be something to talk about either way. Either they're going to snap their way out of the streak and maybe send people into the All-Star break feeling like there's some kind of hope here, or it's going to get ugly. So, uh... Let's let's discuss it when that time comes. Thanks so much for joining us here, everybody. We will see you on Saturday.